The first passage is taken from Genesis chapter 22. And the second passage is taken from Genesis chapter 45. So let me take the first passage, which is from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. Genesis 22, 1 to 14. I'm reading from the New Revised, or New King James Version, sorry, New King James Version. Genesis 22, 1 to 14. Shall we hear the word of God? Now it came to pass, after these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a ticket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Jehovah Jireh. The second passage is taken from the same Genesis, chapter 45, 
and verses 21 to 28. 45, 21 to 28. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them to teach man changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, see, that you do not become troubled along the way. Verse 25. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Amen. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Amen. Hello. We are privileged on a day like this to have no other person than a man of God, a family man. He's no stranger to this church, but he's been doing a lot for the kingdom of God and for his family. We are blessed to have Dr. John Pippi and a wife today, amen? amen? He is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ based in the city of God's church in Accra. Dr. Pippi provides oversight for churches under the Rebuilding the Nation's Foundation. Using television and online channels, Dr. John Pippi serves the nation with the word of God, helping people to build holy, happy, and prosperous lives and nations. Dr. John Pippi has taught on marriage and family life internationally. He is also the author of other titles on marriages, such as the much acclaimed book, The Marriage House and the practical manual prepare. A family man himself, Dr. Pippi, has been married for over three decades to his beautiful wife, Alexandra. And they have been blessed with five grown-up adults, not grown-up children. <laughs> They've been blessed with five grown-up adults. Amen. So, Dr. John Pippi and uh, Alessandra, we are exceedingly privileged and honored to have you on this special day to minister to, to us. God bless you. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who is upon us. We thank you for your presence here with us, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, there is absolutely no God like you. There is no king like you. You rule, you reign in the heavens, and your rule is extending and increasing across the face of this earth. And one day we shall see this earth covered with the glory of the Lord, and the waters cover the seas. We pray for that day. We live for that day. We proclaim the word of God for that day. 
and ask that as we await the coming of that moment, you will raise up your people, make them stronger and stronger to reflect your glory in this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. I know this is Father's Day, but when I was coming, I felt that God gave me something a bit political, and uh, I, I thought, no, I can't say this on Father's Day because it's Father's Day, but uh, uh, your senior pastor has made a way for me by opening some political doors here this morning, and I think that this is what I want to start with. I feel the Lord is saying one of the reasons for building you people up in his church. Uh, it's not only that you must stay and continue to do the church, but rather one of the reasons he's building you up in the church is so that he might send you to do his work in every space in this nation, including the political space. And I felt him asking me, uh, would, you, would you give me some of your people? This is the Lord that I might use to build a different Ghana. Will you give me some of your, some of, now you call, he's saying your people, but actually it is his own people. You are his people. Will you give me some of your people? Will you release your people to me? Will your vision extend beyond what we do as a gathered people into the kingdom space where the kingdom of God will be manifested in the business area, in the political area, in the media world, wherever, any part of this nation. Will you give me your people? Will you inspire your people? Will you encourage your people? Because, you know, I felt God saying, we've been doing the same things in this country over and over again. We've been using the same dead wood to try and build new things. The wood that is getting rotten, you can't use it to build a new house. It would be foolish to start a new house with a rotten wood. Actually, the wisest thing is to start with new wood. And that new wood is what the Lord is creating through his new creation in the churches in the nation. And so it is time that the people of this, people of God in the nation donate, release, give his Give his people back to the Lord so he might use them in this political space. Nothing is going to change there until we recognize that the work that God is doing in every church is not destined to end in the church, but to end in the palace. And God wants to use that to transform nations. Huge things depend on simple decisions in, the, in, the, in these palaces. And God wants us to rise up to that. The days of saying... Well, politics is a dirty game, so we're not going to touch that. It's over completely. Why would we say that? Why would we continue to say that? So please, Calvary, there are men among you here who can lead this nation much, much better than we have seen in 40 years. So go and lead. Amen? Now Father's Day, which is uh, absolutely connected to everything as well. I'd like to read from Malachi chapter 4, from verse 2. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his reigns, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I ask, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the, Lord, the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the parents to the children. And the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. This is the last, probably the last passage of the Old Testament, uh, but it really uh, speaks about Jesus and speaks about God's purposes and his plans and what he's eager to see happen. Uh, and surprisingly, 
it is intensely family-focused. God seems in this passage to be focusing on the family, almost like a, a final word to the Old Testament. And so it prepares us to get ready for the coming of the new, uh, which is almost a sign that the things that I'm going to be doing in the new things that happen is going to be very, very much intensely focused on the family. And I, we all know what has happened with the family, uh, particularly during lockdown. Everything is to be happening from the home. People began to work from home. Students began to study from home. Then we began to do church from home. Then we began to do everything from home. And I thought, this, what, this place, this one place called home, do we really understand what it is? When all else was gone, our, our nations were closed down, the only thing that remained was the home, the family gathered together. And this, this unit, the family, uh, therefore began to emerge and we need to see it as having such a, a growing significance in the nation. If we haven't given it high profile before, we certainly ought to. But that also meant that all the pressures were now focused on this thing called the home, this thing called the family, coming under pressure. And uh, I didn't want to start off by saying that the family uh, is under pressure. And the, today being Father's Day, I, I really want to address this because the fathers don't exist in isolation. Uh, they, always, they only become fathers in union with a beautiful wife, and I mean um, a woman, a beautiful wife. That's how they get their fatherhood from. And then, of course, the children they produce, that's what give them the whole thing to become fathers as well. So the, when we talk about Father's Day, I believe we are actually looking at the family's day. And I wonder whether separating these things, next time we're going to have Mother's Day separate, then we're going to have Father's Day separate. I don't know whether we ever have Son's Day or Daughter's Day. I don't know when that will come. But my, my suggestion is, you know, these things, they are great, but why don't we have a family day? A family day where we shall expound the true godly gifts and position of a family. A family day where we examine the dynamics of a family. A family day where we see how we can build families the glory of God. I know you give in Calvary whole months of that, but internationally and across the world, we don't see that, so we take them individually. So I want, to, I want to speak to you this morning, and uh, I'm going to be addressing uh, a family uh, as it relates to fathers and their children, fathers and children. Uh, when we look at, uh, here I've got only 25 minutes to do this, because I've got to be running off, going straight to the next campus, I'm going to try and do my best. Uh, in general, when I try to speak very short, and then I do about an hour. When I, so I don't know how it's going to be like this morning, but we'll, we'll have a go. We'll have a go. The, the passage I read from Malachi ends with a fantastic promise that when the Savior comes, when the deliverer comes, when Jesus comes, uh, he will do many things, and we know all that he will accomplish in our world, in our nations, and we are, we are not unfamiliar with that. But here he drops one thing. He says, one of the things that he's going to accomplish is he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the hearts of the children to their parents. That would presuppose that at some point in time, the hearts of children tend to go away from their parents, and sometimes the hearts of parents tend to go away from their children. So the prophet 
is recognizing something here. The prophet is acknowledging something here. Or God is acknowledging something here. Sometimes, uh, as I often say, the, the, church, the Bible is sometimes more honest than the church. The sort of things the Bible says about its own characters and heroes shocks us, really. But they're very extremely honest. But one of the honest things he's saying here is that, well, there's a time when the hearts of children can be turned away from their parents and the hearts of parents turned away from their children. And now, that obviously is not a desired position ever. Uh, because when God is speaking, he's speaking about himself. He's speaking about himself and his children. He himself has experienced, uh, uh, he not experienced, he is the first father and the father of all. He himself knows uh, what it is like to have a son. He himself knows what it is like to have, uh, then through him to have many other sons. And he, the thing about him and his son is that it's, a, it's an ongoing love relationship, unbroken relationship, never at all uh, being separated from each other, except on the cross for a moment. He experienced that. He experienced that. He must have known moments like that were coming. But in general, God's plan was that the family that they have in heaven, father and son, will be recast on the earth or will be reborn on the earth, will be recreated on the earth. So they will have uh, many, many micro copies of the heavenly picture between father and son. And so when he looks on the earth and see separation between parents or fathers and sons and parents and children, what, he's, what, he, what he finds, what he feels in his heart is this, this should not be the status quo. This is not the ideal. This is what I'm, not what I'm looking for. And he's actually looking for something far better. So he gives us a promise, the promise of God. And this same promise I want to bring to all who are here today, who are listening to me, whatever the state of affairs between your parents and children are, between children and parents, whatever state of affairs it is, God says there is a promise that he will send a help. There is a promise that he will send his son. There is a promise that his spirit will come. And when his spirit comes, a spirit will unite the hearts of the fathers with the hearts of the children and the hearts of the children with the parents. Hallelujah. This is the promise of God. And God's promises will never, ever fail. God's promises will always come to pass. God's promises will always triumph, even in the midst of extreme adversity. No matter what is thrown against this promise of God, no matter what is put in the way of the fulfillment of this promise, God said, I shall bring this to pass. I shall make sure that the sons and daughters shall be united with their fathers, and the fathers shall be united with the sons and daughters. This is the promise of God. And so this is what this passage actually outlining. And it starts, of course, by speaking about the glorious, it says, the son of righteousness. You know, they didn't use the word S-O-N there. Speaking about Jesus in Malachi chapter 4. It says, when he comes, but for you who revere my name, speaking about his people, the son of righteousness, the S-U-N of righteousness. I don't know what is a play on words, but it was beginning to point to the one, the person who is going to make this thing possible. It's going to be there. We see no one else, but it is Jesus, the son of righteousness, who shall come, he said, with healing in his wings, healings in his race. So he, he, we are told about the coming of Jesus, when he arrives on the scene, when he comes, he comes with many, many gifts, many, many 
abilities. But one of the things that comes that he releases is there's going to be like a sunshine that comes out, which means that the darkness that is ruling shall be dispelled. The darkness that is ruling in the homes shall be driven out. So instead of the darkness, light shall come. Instead of darkness, there shall be light in the homes. The homes shall become places of light filled with the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there shall be, this light will not be an ordinary light. He said, there shall be healing in its wings. Uh, there must be an amazing kind of light. Not simply for us to see, more ingredients are in this light, more ingredients in the race than simply for us to see there are, must be vitamins, there must be amazing things, there must be qualities that are in this life shall come and into your home. So I want, to, I want to declare over your homes that may the sun of righteousness fill your homes with the sunshine that comes from God and from God alone. May he bless your homes with his presence and show himself to you in beautiful ways. May he dispel all the darkness, all the misunderstanding, all the foolishness, all the lies of the enemy. The son of righteousness will dispel all of it. It will all be thrown away. It will all become a past thing. Because God said, the son of righteousness shall come and he will do amazing things in your home. God knows your home is the focus of activity. He's created your home. He's given you the power to create this home because he knows from there, as we saw in the, during the corona era, from there, not only will your family be kept safe, but also many, many nations are going to be touched from your home. I was amazed about the story that I was read at the beginning about Abraham and Isaac. Quite clearly, sometimes I really think and I included, when we read these passages, we think these things happen in church. Like Abraham taking his son, because we met these stories first in church, and we understood them first in church, we may be forgiven for thinking that these stories were all being worked out in the church. But no, no, these stories were being worked out in families, in homes. In, in, in a man struggling to work out, get some meaning out of what was happening to him, uh, who, who could not have a child for a very long time, and finally he has a son, and then in the middle of all that, Almighty God comes and says, you've got to sacrifice this son for me. What is going on? But all this pressure, all this stuff is going on in the homes. People need to grapple with the heavenly God in the homes. And the, any other, many of the stories, even the birth of Jesus, you have to grapple with that in the home. And so the home is a, quite a place, a no place quite like the home that God is building with you, your homes now. And so Abraham had to grapple with these issues on his own, in the house. And the only thing was God was with him, made a difference. And as he worked through a whole period of childlessness. It was happening in the home. As he grappled with the arrival of the child at last, as he had to grapple with his own weaknesses and this person married this one, had this child, and no, no, that was not the child, and he had another one, and all that kind of thing happening. It was happening in the home, and the home therefore becomes the focus of God's attention. And that is where God wants to work. And I know we need to gather corporate like this and nothing quite like this as well when we gather as a church. But we must never shift the focus. The things that we will hear from me or hear from your pastors here ultimately are meant to be worked out in the homes. So, so everyone have to go through that. But it was all happening in the home context. And we, 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 we try to, let's try and enter into that with him. Uh, battles had to be fought in the home. And so, if the home is like this, if the home is indeed the center of God's activity, then the leaders of these homes need to sit up. Uh, the leaders of these homes, who are the fathers, now you face 
quite a serious responsibility. You may not think that you are leading a church and so the enemy may not be interested in you. If you are leading a church or leading a ministry or uh, leading a huge prayer warrior or something, you might be aware that Satan may be having a go at you, may be interested in you. But when you are, I'm in your home and I'm just trying to find food for my children, trying to look after them, the last thought that comes to your mind is that Satan is interested in doing some dirty things here. But I want to say to you today, having lifted up the home before your eyes today, understand that the enemy is very, very wildly attacking your home even right now. He's on the rampage. He is a wild man. He's an undisciplined, wicked man who seeks to do something in the home that would not only disturb, but reverse the purposes of God in your home that you have built so far. You must understand this. And therefore, when you face all kinds of issues in your homes, you must, first of all, have a kingdom perspective on the issues you are facing. You really must. Don't, therefore, deal with issues. Fathers, you've got many things to do. Uh, you've got the home. You have to look after your home and all that. When you face real challenges in the home, don't see them as mere problems coming to you, but rather put on God's glasses for a moment. And may he give you his perspective so you are beginning to understand the root cause of what is happening in your home. Because it's not normal. You of all people, for this to be happening in your home, it's not normal. But it's not normal, it's not normal. And it's not because somehow you have just become unfortunate. But no, there is an organized military attack against your home. There is an organized, what, what, what shall I say? You know, when, when Russia came to Ukraine, they brought a lot of armored cars and trained their guns on these cities. And then, as if it was a joke, no, they began to fire as well. They began to fire, what is going on here? And they began to break down all the buildings and all the things in the place, all the things that Ukrainians have labored to build for years. All the beautiful things, uh, there was an African student who said, Ukraine is such a beautiful country. All they have labored to build for years. The Russians came, and the only purpose, and I didn't believe this, their only purpose was to break it all down and destroy it all. But that is a picture of the enemy against your home. He comes with many, many ammo tanks to train them on you, and he's not just coming to show off. He's determined to fire. And for all you know, he has fired some shots already. And beautiful things that you have built over the years, you might see that they are being attacked and beginning to fall down before your very eyes. And you think, what is going on here? But you see, in those moments, if you just get upset with one another because, you know, this person is not saying this, and you think that it is actually a domestic warfare, and then you get angry with each other, and then you begin to fight each other because this person said, this person said, listen, he will fire another one. He will fire another one. His goal is to destroy. The enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But God said, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it even more abundantly. So if you've got a right perspective, then what you do is to put on the whole armor of God. Understanding that this issue cannot be solved by merely, by merely nice, nice conversations about it. Cannot be solved by merely counseling about this. It can be solved when we recognize where it's coming from and we are giving that with you beginning to deploy the same weapons that God has given us to deploy. And he said, these weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of all the strongholds of the enemy. So the family is under attack, and we must perceive these attacks 
as things that are organized against the family because of the centrality of the family in God's purposes, particularly for the people of God. Then we must go beyond that. We must, we must the men, the fathers, you must rise up and engage with God to give you not only his perspective, but to give you a vision for the future of your family again. Because when it happens like that, when the, ammo, when the weapons are being shot and things are being tackled, one of the first things that disappears is vision. A friend of mine said, when there is bad relationships, this vision just goes out of the door. When, when bad things begin to happen in churches, everybody forgets about the vision. Everybody wants to leave. Everybody wants to, wants to get upset. And every, nobody wants to do anything because when the relationships are bad, the first thing that's the, that, that's the casualty is vision. And so you have to, as fathers, uh, begin to give vision back to your people, your family, whatever you're leading, so that they will recover the vision that you have for them again. And, and it's important that you help them also see that, yes, we are all causing irritations to each other. We are all annoying each other right now. But we need to see that there is someone else who is also behind this stuff. Who is the enemy? And we, we need to have, give that same perspective and give the same vision to our family, whether it's two people or three children or four children or whatever. When it's happening, we've got to handle it that way. So fathers, gain God's perspective, recover God's perspective on your family, and give that to your family. And then I, I just want to uh, bring one or two things to you as I get to the end because I don't have forever to do this work. I look at Jesus and his, and his father, and uh, he, he, he tells us something. And it's almost like we've used it as a, as a basis for ministry, and rightly so, but I think that it's, simply, it's also simply uh, a, a basic idea that God wants to see in the families. In John 5, 19, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Then he said this, For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than this, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son, just as they honor the father. The father and the son have got some dynamics going on there that will inform us. The father and the children, let me say children, sons and daughters, they've got some dynamics going on there. First of all, the, the, the sons and daughters, sorry, the son just adores his dad. Jesus simply adored his father. And he was excited about his father. And he also believed with all his heart that he was the only if I can use the word, thing worth having or thinking about. So there were many, many options around the place, but Jesus had already decided it's going to be my father. So he kept his eyes on him. He kept his heart on him. And he said, then he said this, I don't do anything. I do only what I see him doing. Now, what does this tell us about the dynamics there, how do we benefit from that? It really means that 
the kind of honor that Jesus had for his dad, his father, that same honor and respect like we are seeking to do today ought to characterize the upward relationship between sons and daughters and their fathers. Amen? There should be honor. There should be respect. There should be uh, even adoration itself. And as, that's where it started from. And as that started, in, in, that, in, that, in that nexus, what we see is that the key thing operating there is trust above all else. I trust my father. I believe my father. I, I, really, I really trust him, what he says. And, and, the, and the trust that the children have for their father, or Jesus had in his father, uh, was, was such that you could say, I, I, I don't want anything else. I do only what he shows me. And it's, it's in the end, it's what enables Jesus to do the ultimate, to do the greatest work of all, which means that the father must have whispered in his eyes, you know, you have to give yourself on the cross. It will be hard. It will be tough. But you know what? I shall raise you up. Hallelujah. That was a promise. And that kind of promise, that kind of thing, you don't take it like, that kind of work, you don't dare touch it and you don't dare go towards it unless you trust completely the one who has given you the promise. Jesus trusted his father completely. And so he gave himself. So this, this connection, this connection was built on trust. Then we find that as the story, as the Jesus speaks further, the whole thing turns around to the point where the father entrusts everything to the son. The whole of judgment to the son. The whole of uh, uh, his estate, we will say, to the son. All that he had to the son, for the son. That's what he was giving to him. And you think, how does this happen? Well, I don't know which one came first, but they must be connected. For Jesus to lay down completely and said, you and you alone, opens the door for the Father to say, hey, you know what? You can also have it all. You can have it all. So he gave me a name that is above every other name. That at the mention of the name of Jesus, every name must bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Where did that come from? Well, Jesus as we are told, made himself nothing, which is what it means. I don't know anything unless you show me. I'm not, I'm not doing it unless you reveal this to me. This is what I'm going for. So we're looking for that kind of intimacy on the earth as well. And God willing, we shall get it. We may not have it all now, but we will get it because that's what God is living to. He says in the end, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their sons and the sons to the fathers. This is his desire. You know, fathers today, you must believe God that he will turn the hearts of the children to you, turn the hearts of your children to you, and also your heart will be fully for your children as well. You must believe God for this. Hallelujah. So, when we look at the father and son interaction, it's just like an amazing, amazing thing that happened. I don't know how Abraham and Isaac would have handled it because what happened there in the family was like very, very difficult. Isaac, have you ever thought about this? Isaac is going to wake up and think, my father nearly killed me. He said, no, 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 your father is not a murderer. I saw him. No, no, your father is not a killer. No, no, he held his knife at me. No, 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 don't say that. Uncles will say, no, no, don't say that. Your father is not a bad man. I saw him do that. Yeah. I saw him. And sometimes fathers need to use the sword of the spirit in a way that the, parents, the children feel, this one, you are trying to kill me with the words. 
These words you are telling me, it's almost like you are about to kill me. These words are like, you are, you are, you are hurting me. But medicines are bitter for a purpose, so they will do their work. The father prunes the vines. And so a father's job is sometimes to cut and to slash and to wield the sword, even in the home, not at the people, but the thing, at the things that are destroying the home. And a father must be courageous and strong enough and bold to wield the sword when it is necessary. So no, no, you, this, you did it against me. No, 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 it's not against you. And so but it's, it's, it's attacking the, the spirit, the one, the one who is causing this. You, know, you attack it with courage. And, we, and we've been, and we've been we, 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 in fact, we must not, fathers must not become emasculated. No, fathers must not relinquish their jobs. Some fathers don't get involved at all in the raising up of the children, so that's the, that's the woman's job. The lady, your wife alone, to look after all these people and bring them up in righteousness, in holiness, and in the stomach, and everywhere as well as in addition. No. You can do the stomach part, feed them, but we have to get into that space, those spaces, and when necessary, we bring the corrective word, which sometimes will be so misunderstood and they think, you just held this knife against me. You just, I saw you. I heard you. You just wielded this knife. I said, no. I held it. I don't know what, whether Abraham had any answers. No answer. You, he cannot explain that. Imagine trying to give this boy a theological discourse on how, why I tried to kill you. It wouldn't make sense. He wouldn't get anywhere. So, there were moments like that. But I want to encourage you as fathers, use the towel when necessary. Use the hug when necessary, but do not be afraid to use the sword as well when necessary. And so there's a range of things, and all this, it's impossible to talk about all in one preaching, but what I'll say is that let the Spirit lead you. You should understand that the Holy Spirit it's not only for functioning in the church, in the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is needed actively in the home. Your dependence on the Holy Spirit is even more so, should be more so in the home than in the church. The Holy Spirit is given to do these things in the home to strengthen and build you up. That you can build things there that have the shape of God in them. So, I would like to pray for us now. If you'd like to stand up, please. Pray for the promise of God to come. Pray for the uh, grace of God to come. Pray for the, I'm going to pray for the presence of the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are Lord over all heaven and earth. Father, we thank you that you rule in the heavens, but you rule in the earth as well. You rule in our homes. We thank you for men whom you've raised up to become heads of your home or your delegated heads in homes. We want to thank you for each father that is present here. I want to thank you for every family that you have created around every father here. We want to pray for these families 
that your presence will fill every home in the name of Jesus. We want to pray that your light, hallelujah, the light of God shall fill every home and dispel every darkness in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to pray, O oh Lord, that the, uh, the, the, the power in your light to bring healing to every situation in the home shall be released into every home. As he said, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wing. Let there be healing in the homes, to declare, in the name of Jesus. Let there be healing in physical bodies, in the homes, in the name of Jesus. Let there be healing in relationships, in the homes, in the name of Jesus. Let there be healing poured out, released every moment, every time. The sun of righteousness shine even more brightly in our homes to the glory of God the Father. We give our homes to you. We offer them to you again afresh. We ask that, Lord, you bring revelation, insight, and understanding to every situation. We pray, O oh God, that you build your wall of fire. Hallelujah. Many, many, many walls of fire around all these homes represented here and beyond. That your people who are trying to set up your kind of families in the earth, in the face of extreme opposition, in the face of extreme provocation, Lord, may you garrison the homes of your people with a ball of fire, wall of fire being around them all that they might triumph, protected, and then in the end they shall triumph over the works of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask for a deployment of your armies that are more numerous than even the Russian tanks. Let your armies be released into action. May they fill your people's homes and around them. May it be like it was said, those that are around us are more numerous than those that are with the enemy. May you, may you fight for your people, O oh Lord. Many of your people are trying to preserve your values and live for you and and protect what you've given them. I pray that you will give them strength to overcome all the weapons of the enemy. In Jesus' name I declare, amen.